Welcome to the Hopeless Wonder Podcast Extra, Episode 8, which is our Christmas special with me, Adam Gipke, Craig Rogers, and Andy McBride. So, just to say, Willkommen and Willkommen to our German and Swedish listeners. Uh, great to have you listening to the show. And also, we've had over 100 new followers across Instagram and Twitter. So, if this is your first time of listening to us, hello and thank you again for being part of this show. And before we start, obviously, just let's have an intro to our co-host. So, Craig, how has your week been and how have you been doing, more importantly? Hello, hello, mate. Yeah, I'm not bad. Um, quite a stressful week at work with um, Black Friday kind of rolling to an end, <laughs> Christmas, Brexit, COVID. It's been quite a, quite a crazy year, so looking forward to a couple of days off, starting on Friday, um, and some nice food and drink, mate, for me, yeah. Yeah, great stuff. And yeah, you definitely deserve it after all of the pain you've been telling us. And how about you, Andy? How has your week been? Surely it sounds like you're in a much more positive place anyway. Yeah, it's been all right. Uh finished work for the next week um, or great. yesterday. So... Um, awesome. Yeah, I've just spent spent a day doing Christmas bits. Um, did some Christmas shopping. By Christmas shopping, I mean buying booze. Um, <laughs> I was given a shopping list of uh, ten bottles of tonic and a bottle of gin to go with the uh, five or six other bottles we've got. So all good. <laughs> Great stuff. And I suppose as part of the festivities, uh, we are also having a celebratory drink as we do this episode. So this is going to be a good long two-hour session for us. Uh, so we apologise right now if the episode sounds like a bit incomprehensible in comparison to other episodes. <laughs> um, but we'll uh, we'll try our best um, to make sure it's audible. Let's put it that way. Anyway, let's start with the weekend's games. Um, much more exciting set of results. Um, started off by Klopp's favourite slot time at Liverpool, trouncing Crystal Palace 7-0. We also saw a few shocks across Europe as well. Um, but let's start with our attentions on the Man United versus Leeds game. And in particular, talking about El Loco for you and me, that's Marcelo Bielsa. And um, just wanted you guys uh, to share some thoughts on the match. But before we go into it, do you think Bielsa's kind of tactics are causing Leeds to burn out right now? Or is it just a case of his tactics being kind of, I don't know what's the right word to say on this, but he's kind of, I don't know, arrogant maybe? Or he's particular in a way that his team should play it. So... Yeah, just get your thoughts on it first and see what you think about this current lead side anyway. I would describe his tactics and his methods as swashbuckling, I think. <laughs> um, they go out there, they play the same way, whether they're playing Manchester United or whether they're playing West Brom. It's the same the same sort of way. I, I wanted to pick up on Leeds tonight for a few different reasons. One is that, you know, if you go to Manchester United... Um, with that setup, it's, it's likely going to be a bloodbath, and it proved that way. They've got 2.92 expected goals against this season in the Premier League, which is the, the mm-hmm. highest of any team in the Premier League. So going to Manchester United, um, such a fast, quick counter-attacking team was always going to end in tears. Um, one question, I know that Andy will pick up a lot, lot more on the, the Manchester United side of it and how, how well they played. But one thing I wanted to ask you two, straight off the bat, was... Marcelo Bielsa will keep leading the Premier League this year. They'll likely finish between 10th and 15th, I would imagine. But 
next year Leeds fans will want more than that. Um, and Leeds are a huge club with expectant fans, and I would imagine that in the next two or three years they'll be looking for top half potential European slots is where they would like to see themselves. Um, do you think Marcelo Bielsa and his stubborn ways will be able to do that, or will Leeds have to shake hands at some stage and say thanks very much for your efforts, but have to go with someone a bit more pragmatic? I think with Bielsa, like it's all, I think it's down to him and how he feels in many ways because. In the lead up to this season, he left it to a very, very last minute before committing. In fact, they were already in pre-season before he actually committed to the season ahead. You know, because he's he's the kind of guy that, you know, if everything's not to his perfection, we're not just talking on the pitch. We're talking about off the pitch. You know, he wants, with Bielsa, you have to buy into everything and that includes the board you know if the board during the summer don't get the players that he wants or certain characters aren't moved on or you know if everything's not to his liking and regardless of what the board wants to do he'll just up sticks and leaves um so yeah i think as, as you've said craig they will easily stay in the premier league um and my own allegiances aside they are a fantastic team to watch um, so it, I think it's anybody's guess at this stage. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I think one of the things Bielsa has bought is that style of football. And my my main thoughts are it seems to be a bit excessive sometimes. Um, he doesn't seem to change his style of football, which, you know, whether that's being just, you know, like you've said, quite stubborn and he wants to make ensure that that style of football is just replicated and it sounds like even at a lower level, so through the youth team development, they're also replicating that kind of football so that, you know, when they do get those players coming through, it doesn't feel like a shock to the system as such. But yeah, pragmatically, it feels like eventually there will come a point where Leeds fans will want just points potentially. I mean, we know the Leeds of old were kind of known for being that pragmatic style of football um, but yeah, personally, I feel like if they stick with Bielsa, they could build a legacy, you know, the type of plays he's bringing in. And I think for me, it's just sometimes the over-reliance on certain players and how do they replace it as the years go by? Because certain players like Calvin Phillips, for example, is pinnacle to that side. Now, let's be honest, if a bigger club came sniffing around for his services, would they be able to replace him quite as easily? I don't know. Um but it'll be interesting to see how the Bielsa side can progress. I think what I found quite alarmingly, though, was how quickly they kind of shuddered, I suppose, against Man United's tactical play. Uh, what was interesting as well was against the sides um, where they have lost games. So, for example, Chelsea and West Ham. Those sides ran more than Leeds in that particular game when Leeds both lost them. So it does seem to be that there's a certain way to play against Leeds and teams are starting to find that way. So I'm just starting to wonder whether Bielsa should start thinking about a different style or different tactic to kind of combat those sort of situations. I don't know what you guys think. Well, we spoke last week kind of two weeks ago about Sheffield United and they're such an impressive first mm. season up and took everyone by surprise and played nice stuff. We then discussed that they'd been found out and that teams sort of knew how to play against them and then all of a sudden, you know, their, their odds on to go back down this year. Now, I believe that Leeds have probably got a better squad. In fact, I'm sure they've got a better squad. 
but it'd be very, very interesting to see how the teams that Leeds have beaten so far, how they match up with the, the return leg in the second half of the season and whether they allow Leeds to, to do to them what they did in the first game. I think you'll probably find in the back end of the season, um, a lot more people are taking Leeds seriously uh, and we'll spend a bit more time in a- analysing them and, and creating match plans. I don't know what you think about that, Andy. Yeah, I agree. I think um, the problem with Bielsa's style is that he relies on individual players winning their one-on-one duels. So the way he sets up is basically just, you know, 10 one-on-one duels all over the pitch. Um, and the problem is, is that, you know, in the he's basically got a squad largely built of championship players. You know, if you look at the likes of Alaziki, if you look at the likes of Liam Cooper, uh, their captain and centre back, like they've never really, they haven't really got a squad of lads that played at the highest game. So what happens is that when you come up against the likes of a, a Chelsea or a Manchester United who have just better footballers and they start losing those one-on-one duels, that's when they get into difficulty. Um, a part of their, you know, they always get caught. The danger of a BL society is that they'll get caught in transitions. So teams that can counterpunch really well, um, and despite you know Manchester United's many faults, that is one thing that they're consistently good at week in week out is that they will hit you on the counter um, very effectively. What was interesting for me as well, in the press, Bielsa said recently, for us to be better than a great rival, we need to make them worse. Yet somehow at the Man United game, they just got completely found out. And it was highlighted on Match of the Day how they just ensured that Calvin Phillips was drawn in to that one attacking player. And then it opened up the the attacking line of Man United to just go at that defence. And it was time and again, it wasn't just once. And Man United could have had a lot more goals than were and was reflected, I suppose, from that result. So my question is, do we feel like right now Leeds need to buy or get some better players in the January window? I think in centre midfield, they do, yeah. I think at the moment, they're relying on Calvin Phillips to do it all for them. And obviously, they what Bielsa did, he was trying to man-mark Bruno Fernandes out the game. Um mm. You know, which is sensible, I suppose, in some ways, because he's our best player and certainly most consistent. Um, but what happened is that Fernandez kept bringing him out of position um, and leaving Fred and McTominay to advance what is to basically acres of space, that gap between Leeds attack and Leeds defence. And there wasn't really much in the middle. So I think we need a little bit more solidarity in the centre of the park because uh, there's going to be times if we just need to grind out a result. Um, or be a bit better at winning the ball back and stuff. And they haven't really got any players apart from Phillips, which are that good at it. Do we feel up front a bit kind of lightweight? I know like Patrick Bamford, I've been quite surprised at his progress. And even going into that Chelsea match where he scored again, um, I felt like, oh, is he an outsider for England? We all kind of spoke about it as loosely um, said, yeah, probably not. But, I mean, yeah, they are reliant on his form as well right now. Um, He wasn't that kind of prolific in the championship. 
and we know how these kind of players tend to play out for the second season. They kind of struggle. So is there maybe potentially an issue going forward as well where we kind of say they need strengthen up top as well? I mean, they've got Rodrigo as well, who's a Spanish international. Um, you know, mm. he started game for Spain. And granted, he didn't do too well for Valencia last season. I think it was like three league goals. But you have to bear in mind Valencia were going through a lot of on and off field stuff. Um, so in theory, they've got the firepower. Um, you know, they've got the Rafinha as well. It's yeah. I mean, I guess like there's always better out there, but it's whether they could get it at that level that they're at. And just wondering from your point, Andy, were you kind of surprised at how quickly they crumbled, or you know, was it kind of a masterstroke from Solskjaer in the sense that he actually managed to do something different in comparison to what he did in previous games? Yeah, I think one thing that was particularly interesting was um, McTominay. Um, now, he's always had, uh, you know, I've seen McTominay a lot and I've got a lot of time for him. Like, he put, he's got a lot of energy. He always puts in the running and he's good at breaking up play um, and sort of starting attacks. But I think we saw a different facet to his game. And I think Solskjaer asked him to get a bit more forward. Because mm. when he does score, he actually scores some pretty decent goals. And if you look at the two that he um, scored against Leeds, you'd think he'd be doing it every week. Um, like yeah. He's got a very good hit on him. Um, and, the, yeah. and he's also a very powerful, he's a big lad. Um, yeah. You know, the way he ran through the Leeds defence for the, uh, the second goal. But I think he's another one who suffers a little bit from Erin Hargreaves syndrome. Where he's very good at doing bits of everything, but not a specialist of one or the other. Like he's not a specialist defensive midfielder. He's more for me a box to box type. And I think Solskjaer yeah. hopefully has hit on the fact that actually he's he's got the stamina to get off both ends of the pitch. And when it comes to the attacking play, having someone like him running in, making those runs and committing players to him, I think will help the likes of Fernandez. Uh, give them a bit more space. So I think that certainly helps. It's just nice to see United getting on it from the minute one. Like, yeah, that's probably definitely. the first performance this season where we've performed from the first minute to the last. Um, yeah. And it's just now, it's just a case of can they start doing it on a weekly basis? Don't know about you, while we stick on the McTominay kind of scenario, do we feel that's possibly what Man United were expecting from Pogba to be that kind of style of player. I mean, I know he's more of a passing player and creative kind of force, but do you feel that's maybe where they thought Pogba would be when he first came into United? Yeah, I think, you know, with Pogba, I think, you know, we all expected him to be, you know, an all singing, all dancing central midfield maestro, which obviously hasn't happened. And I think it was quite telling that Pogba was dropped for that game, mm. um, you know, because as, as much as it sounds strange to say for a 80, 90 million pound player, he would he would have been more susceptible to losing the ball in the wrong positions as he does quite often. Um, he loses the ball in really awkward positions. He doesn't really, you rarely see Pogba go at full running speed. He tends to sort of glide across the pitch, but you never really see him going at it. And I think when you're playing a team against Leeds, you need 100% commitment. Like you can't, you can't 
you can't not track your runner or just let somebody go because they will punish you. And I think in starting Fred and McTominay, they had players, and you know, and Fernandez as well, they had players that could match them physically, um, mm. as well as obviously the technical side of things. And sticking with the Pogba theme, we had a listener question, a question, should I say, sorry, from John, who asked specifically for Andy's opinion on this, which was um, Man United have reportedly been offered Paolo Dybala and Federico Benedeschi in exchange for Pogba. John just wanted to get your take on what you think and whether you think that's the right kind of move for both parties. Well, thank you, John, for the question. Uh, it's nice to have one. Um, so with the Dybala thing, in, in theory, a player swap seems sensible. But if you go back to um, summer last year before, uh, Manchester United were linked with Dybala um, in a straight transfer. And that fell down because... One, there wasn't really the level of interest, you know, multiple sources such as Fabrizio Romano said, there wasn't really the interest there. Uh, what he was asking for in terms of wages would have been pretty extortionate. Like, there's lots of rumours going around of 300 grand a week wages. Now, if you go back to the Lukaku, if you go back to Pogba, if you go to Sanchez, you know, and if you, if you remember me listing, listing the players reported wages on a private chat we've got a lot of yeah. players already which want a lot of money and not performing at the level and I think hopefully Manchester United have learned especially from the De Maria of just getting a player mm-hmm. over just because we're willing to pay the money isn't going to solve the problems I think if there is to be a player swap of any description one they've got to fit into the team which I think uh, Bernadeschi would um yeah. and two they've got to actually want to play for the club not just coming for a huge mm. paycheck so i think a player swap could work um i'm just skeptical about the dabala side of things because he hasn't really expressed any kind of keenness to move beforehand when we were linked to him mm. Craig, what's your thoughts on these two players if they are being offered up because certainly dabala seems like kind of a good potential forwards for United. Uh, Bernadeschi haven't heard as much from him but I know he's played quite well when he's been called upon for Juve. Um, a bit of a surprise given that Juventus have been trying to uh, suit like clubs for the likes of Ramsey. Um, but yeah, what, what's your thoughts on this potential like kind of exchange going on? I think it's probably quite a good deal for Manchester United. Um, you're right to say mm. Bernadeschi is good when he's called upon. He is second string uh, at Juventus, he plays a sort of attacking midfielder type, so it's not, you know, it's not hard to see why he doesn't get a, get a game there. Dybala is a, a strange one. He had a phenomenal season last year. I believe, if memory serves, he was actually Serie A Player of the Year last year. He's yeah. not hitting the heights this year, um, and I'm not sure why. I'm not quite I don't understand the story, but um, certainly a player that's got talent. And I think if Dybala is playing through the middle with Rashford and Martial and that interchangeability of those three up front could give a lot of Premier League defences uh, a challenge, and that's before you even add Cavani into the mix. So I think it works on two fronts. You get rid of a challenging character in terms of Pogba, um, offload his wages, and potentially bring in if a first-team starter and an option from the bench, who could both be pretty good Premier League players for Manchester United, I think. Definitely. And I think while we uh, stick to the Premier League, uh, we had a few other results that kind of 
happened. So Spurs unexpectedly lost to Leicester 2-0. Um, I put a poll out on our Instagram account asking whether it was just a blip or whether that's Spursy, and 62% said it was Spursy. Um, yeah, kind of a strange kind of game as well when I watched it. Jamie Vardy really took advantage. First one was really just a stupid penalty given by Aurier. And it could have easily been free had James Madison's goal not been ruled off or offside courtesy of VAR again. <laughs> yeah. But do you know what stood out was Spurs seemed to lack that cutting edge. Um, and Leicester just seemed to just grow into the game as it went on and were just more clinical and more dominant in the in particular in that midfield area. And another thing that came out for me was Mourinho's seemingly lack of trust in the fringe players, especially those on the bench. So putting it out to you guys, um, what what do we think of Spurs right now? So that's two defeats on the bounce. Um, do we feel this is now a point where Mourinho has to start playing those fringe players because they've got some tight games going forward? They've got, for example, Stoke, they've just won against in the cup, but then they've got Wolves in the league over the next few days. And the games are just going to come thick and fast. Um, yeah, I don't know about you guys, but it just feels like the likes of Bale, Vincius Jr. not being played as often as we'd possibly like to see. But what, is that because they just lack belief in those players? I don't know. What's your thoughts on it? I think he has to start rotating and giving players a rest. We've spoken about Spurs at length, really and rightly so, um, mm. this season. And we've always spoken around if he can keep players fit. But one surefire way to for players to start picking up little niggly muscle injuries is to be playing you know, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday every week and it's not going to get any easier. You're right in highlighting that the Christmas period, particularly for English and Scottish clubs, is really, really congested. You're going to start running into FA Cup and you're going to start running into the, the Europa League latter stages that they've got in February as well. So they're going to be playing sort of you know, midweek, weekend, midweek, weekend for the foreseeable. So they have to start looking at these games or where they can start resting players. I know Kane and Son are on fire and they won't want to be rested because they want to be scoring goals. But there has to be a time where Matt Mourinho has to put the faith in those players. I'm not I'm not convinced that it's they're spursed it yet. Um, I voted in that poll and I voted just a blip. And the reason I did was I think mm. they had a good performance away at Anfield. And I think we're quite unlucky there to not at least come away with a draw. And I watched that game like you did, Adam, and I just thought collectively Spurs had a stinker. And sometimes you have one or two players have an off game and you can kind of get through it, but I just thought collectively they just had a, a really bad off day. The first sort of 20 minutes, both sides feeling each other out, neither really wanted to commit. And then you're right to highlight Sergio Ori. I'm fuck knows what he was thinking with that. I mean, the guy controls, the Leicester player controls it, he's heading out, outside, he's actually running outside, out of the box. Aurier just comes in, shoulder bars him in the back and knocks him over. It's a penalty all day um, in any league in the world. And you're just looking at it thinking, Christ, you've just now handed the initiative to Leicester. Um, and you're right, it could have been 3-0. Madison's goal cut off for no real reason at all. And Leicester were well worth the win. Um, and I was furious because I backed Spurs on my accumulator. So that put me in a good mood. <laughs> um, so I don't, think, I don't think it's over. I still think, you know, Liverpool are probably, probably going to just grind out results and will eventually pull away at some stage. But I think Spurs are definitely with a shout and they definitely should be looking to finish in you know, the top three, I would imagine, at this stage. Definitely. Um, 
let's stick with North London. And I don't want to spend too much time on the other side of it. But Arsenal, again, um, I don't know what, what, what kind of words to use anymore because we kind of use it quite often on this pod. Um, but yeah, Arteta's coming out with some really weird stuff now. Um, Andy alluded that he uh, referred to basketball and chances again. Uh, it's just, yeah, crazy. And then yesterday, obviously, they for the listeners' benefit, they played Man City, um, lost 4-1. Yeah, and then you had the goalkeeper kind of get vilified by his own fans and he had to delete his own Twitter account. Uh, I dread to think what the guy's going through right now, but... I mean, it's not his fault, to be fair. It was the players in front of him just as bad as he conceded that terrible goal for, I think it was the third one, where it went through his hands uh, from that free kick. But yeah, what 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 else is there to sort of say about Arsenal in this season? I mean, is it going to be a case of um, let's wait until Boxing Day and then maybe the board... Tr- like pull out the trigger and get in a new man. I don't know. Um, we've spoken at length about it and we feel like Arteta should be given the chance, but based on this week, he's kind of become a bit delusional with his kind of thoughts and opinions. So um, what's your thoughts on this anyway? Well, well, we spoke about this about three weeks ago and mm. Ada, um, Andy said, oh, I think he may get the bullet. And I sort of defended Arteta and said, listen, there's a, there's quite a lot of credit in the bank back in the last season winning the cup, etc., etc. But that goodwill's gone now. And in the space of three weeks, yeah. those home defeats we discussed last night, they were just dreadful. I, I think I feel for the keeper as well because there's an awful lot of more significant problems at Arsenal than the goalkeeper. Um, yeah. And you're right, when your manager starts coming out and just starts talking, I mean, let's be honest, it's just utter shite in, in the press. <laughs> and he starts telling you, we should have won that game. And football fans are not stupid. If Arsenal fans who watch the game every week will watch that and say, oh, we didn't play well enough. And when your manager comes out at the end of the, the game and tells you that, oh, yeah, we should have won that game, they they just lose credibility. We had it with Mark Warburton at Rangers. I can remember, um, who was the boy? Martinez at Everton was notorious for it. He would come out and tell you that the game was entirely different and it just pisses fans off. So I don't know what, what Andy thinks, but I think he's. I think if he gets beat after Chelsea the weekend, um, I think he's probably potentially going to get sacked here. Yeah, I think probably one consideration that we probably haven't made when discussing Arsenal, maybe to an extent Arteta, is that um, when he's been a assistant at Manchester City, like they've never been in a situation for many years where they've lost that many games. So when you've got a seasoned manager, like they've been, they've typically been through the ups and downs. Like they've had losing runs, they've had to find solutions and get through them. Or sometimes they get sacked from the job and have to learn again the next time. And I think with Arteta, that he hasn't got that experience to fall back on. Um, he doesn't know what to do. I think there's maybe a situation where he doesn't know how to respond to a team going through five, six, seven games without getting the results that they should do. Um, so I think maybe I think he's all, to an extent, learning on the job. I think when things were going well, Arsenal were confident and they were playing nice football and their players were on form, then Arteta ball, as I guess they call it, works. But yeah, he's not really helping himself with his um, selective maths 
Uh, <laughs> and very, I mean, yeah, I'm sure Rachel Riley would have a thing to sue, say, a thing or two to say about his <laughs> mathematical skills. And then the weird comparisons to bloody basketball. I was just like, you know, ultimately his team are not performing well enough. And, you know, I think as, as much as we could agree, it's largely due down due to the players that are on the pitch. Um, he seems to be adding a little bit of pressure to himself at the moment. Right, let's turn our attentions to the Bundesliga. Um, started off on Friday evening with a shock Union Berlin win against Dortmund at home. Um, the winner scored 15 minutes before the end of the match and Union Berlin won 2-1 against Dortmund. So nothing going right for Dortmund at the moment. But um, Craig wanted to speak about the big game that was happening, which was the Bayern Munich versus uh, by a Leverkusen match and um, a great goal by Patrick Schick on the volley before courtesy of your man Robert Lewandowski scoring a double to uh, secure the 2-1 win for Bayern Munich um, but there's been a lot of unsettling kind of behaviour happening at Bayern in particular with the likes of Leroy Sane and um, yeah what, what's your thoughts Craig on what's going on at Bayern Munich right now? Yeah so just before we touch on that just uh, the Friday night game Union Berlin are actually playing really, really well and it's probably not as much mm. of a shock as you might think. So Union Berlin were promoted off the back of the 18-19 season. Last year was their first year in the Bundesliga for a long time. Just about to scrape through and this year they've been a revelation and they're, they're playing fantastically well. So all credit to them. Bayern Munich, I just wanted to touch on um, because I sat here on the pod last week and I said Leverkusen are a point clear at the top. If they can beat Bayern, there's maybe a title race. And Bayern Munich have just, you know, proven me wrong again. Double from Lewandowski, you know, a 92nd, 93rd minute goal um, to win 2-1 against league leaders. So they're now, they're now two points clear ahead of Leverkusen and RB Leipzig. And just a couple of stats to kind of show you what I mean by this is the last seven times that Bayern Munich have gone a goal behind, they've come back and won in the Bundesliga. So if you're a team that are chasing Bayern Munich, and even you think even if I score first, they come the last seven times in a row that a team has scored first against, they've come back and won. And the other stat was I read this week that ten days ago there were two undefeated teams in the Bundesliga. One was Wolfsburg and one was Leverkusen, and now there are no undefeated teams in the Bundesliga because Bayern Munich have beat them both in the last week. So it doesn't look very good for the rest of the Bundesliga. You look at that Bayern Munich team. Um, and they just look like they're mentally probably the strongest team in Europe. I'm struggling to think of a team who just know how to win better than Bayern. But the the winter breaks come at a good time for them. They look tired. They really do. They obviously played up to and including the Champions League final last year. Um, straight into the league, they've been playing a very, very hectic European schedule again. And they, they do look knackered. So I think the, their shortened winter break has come at a perfect time for them. And if they can sort of regroup, refresh... Um, and come back in January, I can see them now starting to run away with it. Joshua Kimmich returned after the six weeks out on yeah. uh, the weekend and, and kind of steady that, that ship and looked really good. So, um, I, you know, after me saying there's been a title race, I think Bayern have, have shut me up. Leroy Sani's a strange one. So Leroy Sani was brought on in this game yeah. and then was subbed off 36 minutes later, replaced by a 17-year-old. Um, and after the game, Hansi Flick was asked about it. And his reply was the the player that he brought on, the young boy, gave him more options going forward. 
Now, if that's not a, if that's not a damning statement to one of you know a German international player, then I don't know what is. Now, after that, in the press, you know, Thomas Muller and Manuel Neuer have come out and supported Sani and and saying, you know, he's just bedding back in. He's got a lot of friends in the dressing room from his time um, mm. with the German national team. So I don't think it's the players that's against him. I think it's probably just a, a message being sent by Hansi Flick again that says, you know, you better yeah. you better smarten up, son, or you'll be out because he's not doing he's not doing what. Hansi Flick requires a Bayern Munich team. He's not tracking back. He's not pressing properly. Um, and Hansi Flick, I think they'd be sending a bit of a message. But didn't um, Sane? Rec- I mean, Sane was basically injured for pretty much all of last season, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, last season. So yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe that's contributing to the lack of energy he's able to give out. I was just going to say um, another thing that cropped up was Hansi Flick's being quoted as saying that Leroy Sane wasn't his decision. Um, which is interesting because obviously, yeah, he's not saying completely that he's against Sane, but he's saying that he wasn't his preferred transfer target. And I don't know whether Hansi Flick is kind of thinking, right, give him some sort of motivation to say, right, you need to sort of start shaping up to be part of this squad because otherwise I am just going to start bringing in players or play someone else in your role right now. So that's my thoughts on it. I did raise it a few weeks ago in that game against obviously Leipzig, where he had a terrible game, was defended by likes of Lota Mateus for not tracking back. And again, it was kind of the same theme again. So I wonder if this is kind of that kick up the uh, arse proverbially and kind of saying, listen, shape up now, otherwise you won't find yourself in the squad. Yeah, Hansi Flick famously wanted Timo Werner, didn't he? Um, That was who Hansi Flick really wanted in the summer. Um, didn't go for him and got Sani in. Sani's a fantastic player going forward, but to play for this Bayern Munich team and this Bayern Munich manager, there has to be so much more to your game. And it might just be, like Andy says, better recovering from injury, quite not quite matched up yet. And it takes a lot for a player just to go in and to slot into the, the European champions um, and hit the ground running. So world-class as he is, and I do believe he is, it might just take a bit of time to get used to that Bayern Munich um, style play. So I wouldn't rule him out now but he'll definitely have to start showing a bit more effort on the field to, to stay on that part. While we stick with Bundesliga, our favourite side, Schalke, oh, now fuck. on their third <laughs> manager of the season. I don't know if you guys saw yeah, that. But yeah, it's not looking pretty for those guys, is it, at the moment? And then we also had Leanne Turam's son, Marcus Turam, involved in a spitting incident in, uh, for Bar- uh, Gladbach, should I say, sorry. And Andy, you kind of wanted to fill us in on that particular one. So how did it all kind of kick off in that sense? So, well, in short, there was a bit of a, sort of a confrontation. Uh, obviously, uh, Gladbach lost to Hoffenheim, which is probably a game they wouldn't have really expected to lose. Um, and he, so, um, yeah, and basically what's happened is that he spat in someone's face, which, you know, I think if you ask any footballer, um, and time you see them commentate, it's pretty much the worst thing you could do. Like it's almost <laughs> worse than sliding into somebody. Um, mm. No, and especially because of Corona being a being a thing. Obviously, um, it's probably even more an abhorrent thing to do. Um, so what's ended up happening is that they haven't, they haven't messed about with it. Uh, literally a couple of days after the incident, like it's been fined. Um, 36 grand which would be nothing monetary wise but he's banned for six games so um that's quite a hefty chunk of games for them really uh, the, apparently is um his father for those who don't know Lillian Turam 
were like was apparently like oh I demanded explanation and he was just like oh, I was just angry which um <laughs> it's not really it's not really an excuse to be honest because I don't I don't spit at people when I'm angry and I play football <laughs> um exactly. so yeah I think um he, you know he's he's a youngish lad um he shouldn't have done it um and to be fair like I think a six game ban is probably quite appropriate um and they've dealt with it quite efficiently. But yeah, it's um a few in the naughty corner this week. I mean, whilst I'm on my naughty corner stages, it's kind of lent into. So Kieran Trippier has now been banned for ten weeks. Um worldwide, even though he's at Tottenham at the time because of a betting charge. Now, not because he was betting himself as such, it's because he allegedly mm. tipped off his friends that he was going to Atletico Madrid. Said friends put on a bet that he was going to Atletico Madrid and you can sort of see what happens there. Um it's just interesting that he's given a ten week ban for something that wasn't was accidental or uh, rather than anything else. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that you can get banned for 10 weeks for basically annoying some bookies, uh, but less for <laughs> spitting at somebody and racism. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't show you what the twisted priorities of football are, I don't know what will, uh, but they've always, cl- I think football's always clamped down hard when it comes to, uh, gambling related incidents so it's not a huge surprise but he started every game in the Champions League and every game in the league for Atletico so he is pretty vital to what we do um mm-hmm. so I doubt they'll be chuffed either um and meanwhile in the not as naughty corner so uh, if you remember the Napoli Juventus game got um, abandoned basically uh, because the local health authorities in Naples um, yeah. w- wouldn't let the Napoli team travel uh, because a couple of their squad had got COVID. Now, a lot of people think the argument was that um, the game should have been played. You didn't, so therefore you, you've lost the three points. But the argument from the, the governing body of Syria um, was that Napoli didn't take enough precautions or didn't do as much as they could have done in order to um, put out a playable team. Um, and that's where a lot of the debate has come from. It's like from Napoli's side, well, we've reacted to what the health authorities have told us to do. And the leagues and Juventus's probably point of view is like, well, you could have easily put out an 11 to 15 bad squad, even if there was a couple of positives. And yeah. uh, it's gone through two courts of appeal, and I think it's gone to the highest court of appeal they can in Italy. Um, they've eventually had it overturned. So, what's happened is uh, Juventus have lost three points. Um, Napoli have gained the one point that they lost. Um, and just to make things worse for Juventus, you also got beat of Fiorentina. So they've basically lost six <laughs> points in a, in a day. Uh, but the game will be replayed at some point. Uh, but it's likely to be at the end of the season. So depending on how it goes, it could be quite a um, vital match. 
While we stick with Serie A as well, um, a lot of results happen over the weekend. Um, so Craig's probably going to allude to Roma's uh, shocking loss. I think it was over on Sunday or Saturday. But we also saw, obviously, the Milan club still maintaining that top spot in Serie A. So, Craig, what's your thoughts on the weekend's results, in particular for Roma as well? Yeah, the Roma game was quite troubling. I watched that game. Roma scored first and you're thinking... This will, this is this is shaping up quite nicely here. I get away against a good Atalanta team. We're big fans of Atalanta on the pod. Um, and mm. then Atalanta just overrun Roma and all over the field, just to overrun them. Really, really disappointing. Um, Roma are having a not a bad season. I mean, we were fourth in the league until, as Andy mentioned, um, Napoli's point was reduced, so we're, we're not down to fifth. The problem with Roma is. We also could beat away to Napoli 4-0. Um, and I put that one down to, it was the first home game after Maradona had died um, at the San Paolo. Highly charged. They had a Maradona shirt at the side of the mm. field, which Insigne picked up when he scored. And I, I kind of chalked that down to Napoli just been bang up for it. Um, and then that went away to uh, Atlanta at the weekend as well. Another 4-1 defeat away to a top four challenger. is a little bit worrying. As, as we record now on Wednesday evening, they are winning at home, um, so hopefully they'll, they'll, kind of, they'll start to gain some more points, but it's not a good sign that your top four contenders and your rivals for Champions League places can beat you so convincingly at home. Uh, and then, yeah, we spoke briefly about Inter, that six games in a row now they've won. Uh, they won at home against Spezia and AC Milan won away at Sassuolo. Incidentally, Pedro Leal has scored the fastest goal ever in any of the top five leagues. I think it was 6.8 seconds. Um, so the commentator barely barely sat down before before he was pushed through and, and purely was speaking to the manager after the game and he says that they have four different strategies from kickoff and that was one mm. of them and it just happened to work that they just got straight through and bang one one uh, go after six seconds so AC Milan are top and are getting rightly a lot of the plaudits of, of how well they're playing their average squad age on at Saturday was 22 so you know a good young squad obviously mm. Zlatan was missing um and then the sort of the narrative has been about how disappointing Inter Milan have been, and it's easy to see that due to their Champions League form. But they are only one point behind AC Milan, so league form-wise, um, they're absolutely flying. They're also currently winning at the moment. A goal from Lautaro Martinez. I don't know how much longer he'll be at Inter Milan. Um, the striker, yeah. I think he's a fantastic talent. But the no way he'll be there at the end. The I, I don't think so. He was he was highly linked with Barcelona. But you know, why would you want to go to Barcelona right now? It's it's on fire. Um, so, you know, who knows? It, it, it looks like a Manchester United signing, Martinez. It just looks like the kind of guy that they would they would chip in for. So you never know. I'd like to see him in the Premier League. But Serie A is probably the, the kind of the most open Serie A title race we've had for a long, long time. And it's good to see giants like AC Milan really coming back into form. You know, that was excellent. Interestingly, a player that will probably leave in January is Christian Eriksen. Yeah being confirmed that he's um, being suited to other clubs right now um, and it's been drawn upon that he's just not settled and um, nothing to do with his professionalism but just doesn't suit that squad. I mean, we could see that a mile off that he doesn't suit that squad but um, yeah, for whatever reason, Conte obviously pursued it and again, I don't know whether that's just a Conte versus Inter scenario that we're talking about here but certainly... um, 
yeah, he, he doesn't look like he's got much time left at Inter Milan. But before we leave Serie A, I just wanted to also talk about Sassuolo, who are kind of taking away from Atalanta's mantra and being that kind of outsider right now. They sit themselves right now in fourth position and currently leading against Sampdoria at half time. So um, Sassuolo, kind of a surprise, um, I suppose, candidate for that uh, top four place and um, doing quite well, right, Craig? Yeah, they are. They were, they were sat in second for a long, long time actually just behind AC Milan and at one stage I believe mid-October early November they were the highest scoring team in Europe at one stage so uh, yeah, they're a good side they're starting to kind of return to the mean um, not too dissimilar to I would refer to as an English example a Southampton who started off some really really good results but will eventually um, return to where they should be in the league table uh, even if Sassuolo finish top seven uh, and end up in a Europa League place this year, that is a that's a fantastic season for them. It really is. Um, they're a club with a, a very very small wage bill, even for Serie A standards, um, and they're really really punched above the weight. So you know, power to them. They're doing really really well um, mm. and challenging the big guys for European places. So yeah, like I said, Serie A this year's probably the most exciting it's been in you know nine maybe ten years. So long may it continue. Do you think they've got enough to kind of cement that fourth place potentially or higher this season? Sassuolo, no, I don't think so. I think they'll eventually fall down. No. I think I think Juventus will eventually get it right. Um, you've got Napoli there. Lazio have had you know really, really poor four or five mm-hmm. weeks as well. You would like to think that they will eventually find some form. Um, and although they are performing well and you know punched above their weight, there are there are four teams better than them in Serie A. And I think after after the the dust settles in May, I think they'll be They'll be lucky to finish top seven, but if they do, that'll be a fantastic season for them. Let's turn our attentions to League Earn. So um, we've been raving about how that title race has been kind of sped up in recent weeks. In particular, we've seen the likes of Lille kind of take the fortress at the top of the table. And this weekend, they drew 0-0 against PSG. Um, I shared with you guys in our private chat about the uh, tackle by Kempembe. Um, what a tackle. Um, it looks like he was limping with a hamstring at the time and he had about three little players kind of bearing down on goal, but somehow managed to swing his leg across and get a clearance, which really saved the points for PSG. Um, but interestingly, um, Leon obviously looked like a good outsider right now. They won in midweek as well. Um, 1-4-1 against Nice as well. And that propelled them to second place. Um, a goal difference really just separating Leon and Lille. Interestingly, though, there's a big decision that Leon have to make, which is whether they cash in on Memphis Depot and or do they keep him to the end of the season and risk of calculation of winning the league. Um, we've also got the outsiders in Marseille, two games in hands, like Craig alluded to on last week's pod. Um, it's really interesting scenario um, especially given what's been going on in Ligue 1 but um, Craig you wanted to talk about Leon's credentials so um, let's hand over and say what, what do you think it is about this Leon side that kind of may cement their place to the top of this table right now? I think the manager Rudy Garcia has got them playing really well and, and actually the reason I wanted to talk about them is because I watched that game against Nice on Saturday night um, I got home on Saturday afternoon before we went into tier four, I must say. Um, I got home on Saturday afternoon and I think it was, I want to say Newcastle Fulham might have been the Saturday night game on the Premier League. And I thought, oh, there's yeah. fucking no way I'm watching that. Um, 
I had a, a scan through what was on European football and it was Leon away to Nice. And I know that Nice has recently sacked Patrick Vera um, as their manager. Leon, mm. if they won that game, would have went top of the league. And I thought, you know, I'm going to watch that. And Leon were fantastic. I mean, they were absolutely brilliant. The front three um, rotate so, so well. And they were cutting Nice open, who are, you know, known as a relatively decent defensive side. They just ran over the top of them. Mm. Memphis Depay um, is really, really good. I think if Leon are serious about potentially challenging this year, and it's maybe the last chance for all, because you would imagine that Thomas Tucker will go in the summer from PSG, and PSG next season will be revitalised. This is probably a once in a six, seven year opportunity for another team to win this league. And I think Leon, if they sell Memphis to Pai, he's rumoured to go to Barcelona because Ronald Koeman really likes him naturally yeah. with the Dutch connection. If he goes to Barcelona in January, I think they've probably reduced their chances massive winning this league. So I think for them, if they say to Barcelona, you can have him in the summer, no problem at all, but he is here until the end of the season. Um, and I just a shout out to a guy called Ikambi, um, a guy I'd never seen play before mm. out front for Leon. Absolutely ran amok all over the top of him. And Leon went top of the league, albeit for a short spell on Saturday. Um, before Leo versus PSG on Sunday. A bit of a boring 0-0 draw. PSG badly missed Neymar. I mean, really badly missed Neymar. He still got three or four weeks out. Um, and yeah, you're right to point out um, the challenge from the boy. It's not often that a slide tackle gets shared over Twitter and social media and heralded, but you can quite clearly see from the replay, the guy pulls his hamstring, looks around, yeah. realises there's some more danger. Somebody just gets his head down, runs another five or six yards, and then puts in a fantastic slide and tackle to... You know, you know, win a point for, for PSG. He's probably done himself some more damage than it was worth, really. <laughs> In all honesty, he's probably out for a bit longer now, but you know, fair, fair play to the guy, an absolute trooper. But like like Serie A, it's the most open the league has been for a while. Um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against a, a Lille or a, a Leon, if not winning it, at least take it to the last two or three games of the season and making this really exciting. Thomas Tuchel, um, again, is fighting with Leonardo at PSG. He's like Lucien Favre was, um, he's mm. he's on his way out in the summer, if not before. Um, and I think if PSG, if it looks like in January, February time that they won't win that league, I think the board will be forced into a move and you might see Thomas Tuchel become available um, a little bit earlier than we would have thought. What was your thoughts on Memphis Depay? Because I, I felt like he's um, maybe grown over time and maybe the benefit of being in the French league where he's not got the scrutiny that the Premier League had when he was at Man United probably helped his development. Um, but yeah, certainly he's come into his own, being quoted as potentially going into Barcelona, like you've said. And um, I was just curious whether you felt he's that type of quality player that can maybe kind of contribute to that level right now? or Because certainly for the national team, he's been doing quite well when he's been called upon at the Netherlands anyway. Yeah, his quality is unquestionable. Yeah, he is a, a very talented footballer. I've always felt with Memphis Depay and why I didn't think it worked at Manchester United was that Memphis Depay performs best when teams are geared towards his strengths and the whole team is set mm. up to allow Memphis Depay to be Memphis Depay, if you know what I mean. And that's why he's mm. performed well in this league because Rudy Garcia, it all goes through him and it's everything is set up to make sure that he plays well, much like... You know, Real Madrid was when Ronaldo was there, as an example. It's all geared up for uh, for him. Yeah, I would get a feeling that when he goes to Barcelona, whether it's Messi is still there or whether it's Griezmann or whether it's someone else, Memphis Depay will not be the main man at Barcelona probably ever. And that's not a discredit to him. They're just bigger players there. And I think he would probably pay second fiddle much the way that Dembele and Coutinho are playing at the moment. 
where they're not the main men, a little bit in and out, and I don't think you'd get the most out of them. I think Memphis Depay performs well when he's a big fish in a small pond, and managers gear up their entire system um, to get the best out of him. So, listen, you would never you would never grudge the guy a move. You know, when Barcelona come calling, mm. you, you don't say no. So I wouldn't grudge him the move, but I think um, performance-wise, I don't think he'll perform as well for Barcelona as he is doing now for Lyon. And Andy, what was your thoughts of Memphis when he was at United? Because he kind of started off all right for about a month and then kind of went under bus, basically, under Lou Van Gaal. And I don't know what kind of triggered it, but certainly just didn't seem to get that kind of same sort of play as he started off with. So um, did you feel that he was a lost kind of cause at that point? I think it was a couple of things that contributed to him not performing. So... One of which was Van Gaal's style of football. It was very restrictive. You know, never really, although it was defensively solid, it never really left much room for individual expression. And with someone like Memphis Depay, you just got to let him do his thing sometimes. Like, you just, you know, if he wants to go dribble past three or four players and take a shot for 25 yards, he's going to miss sometimes. But, you know, you just got to go fine. That's going to happen because he will do things that, that not many other players could do. Um, I remember watching like a Europa League game against Michelin um, and all right, you have to bear the opposition in mind, but he absolutely tore him to shreds and like the skills that he has are like, reminded me of back when Ronaldo was at United when he was a, more of a winger. Uh, but he also, uh, Memphis Depay admitted himself in interviews that he wasn't, 100% focused on being the absolute best footballer he could be. Um, and I think when you play under a Van Gaal team, you've got to be 100% focused. And if you're not, you're going to drop down the pecking order. You know, that's why it didn't work under Van Gaal. That's why that in the first um, six months that Jose was there, he probably never took to him particularly much either. And that's why he was gone. Um the funny thing is, I think under Solskjaer's Man United, he would fit in quite well, um, as it happens. Um, so, yeah, I think it was right player, but at the wrong time, is my view on Depay. Cool. Let's move to Scotland. And obviously Celtic sewed up the quadruple treble. Um, so uh, for the benefit of Craig, we're going to kind of put him on mute uh, just for like kind of, I suppose, just allow him to uh, kind of just take in this information and probably mock us as well at the same time. Um, but yeah, Celtic obviously secured that quadruple treble by winning, f- well, winning on penalties, should I say. Uh, they drew three all against Hearts and after that game had been taken into extra time as well because Celtic were leading 2-0 at halftime before Hearts brought it to 2-2. Lee Griffiths made it 3-2 before Josh, Josh Ginley made it 3 all. Um, interestingly, um, though, a lot of Celtic fans came out the next day quoting how we should be hailing this. So, um, Andy, uh, I don't know about you, but I felt a bit underwhelmed. And I don't know whether this kind of win kind of was sugarcoating what has happened this season. Um, don't get me wrong. The achievement was incredible for a club to do that but it doesn't seem to hold much strength when you consider how they've been performing more recently. So 
let's just talk amongst ourselves. What was your thoughts on that treble and whether you feel it ha- deserves that kind of accolade? Um, but at the same time, do you think there's greater issues for Celtic to be worried about right now? I think it's hard. Um, I think, you know, in any country, if you get a quadruple treble, it is a good achievement. But the um, the basis of that success was largely Brendan Rodgers. Um, like, you know, it was largely his squad and his signings that got them to that kind of position. Um, you know, when Neil Lennon took over, he took over a team that should be winning the league year in, year out. So I think in some ways, especially when you consider you know, the issues that Rangers have had pre-Gerrard, um, it's probably, they, they've had an easier run at, it, run at it. You know, they've had, yeah. the conditions have been there for, you know, such as uh, better better manager, better financial advantage and better players. They've had the conditions there to um, achieve something they should have done. You know, when they've not exactly done anything out of the ordinary, uh, really to win it uh, so yeah it's a good achievement and you you know and it's, as it seems the Celtic social media bunch are keen to do is talk about that relentlessly um, and go let's not talk about our problems right now we don't care <laughs> um, yeah. but you know football is a very you know you do live in the, in the present when it comes to football um, and what they've done previously will mean absolutely nothing if they do not get 10 in a row. Um, yeah. I think it's fair to say that, that t- getting that 10 in a row is more important than any other cup success or double or treble that they've achieved. Um, you know, because all people are going to be talking about at the end of the season is if Rangers win the league, which in my opinion, I think they will, um, that's all they're going to be talking about. You know, the, the Celtic social media um, Guys and girls won't be able to go. But did you know we won the quadruple treble? Yeah, of course. But you lost. <laughs> you lost the ten in the row. So that's the big news here. And I know Craig is probably itching to kind of say this, but it's more down to the fact that they really haven't had any competition down down those kind of four years of you know contributing to this quadruple treble. Is the fact that apart from maybe this season where Rangers have really challenged, and I mean even last season it was there for Rangers really to take it apart I think as well but yeah they just had that collapse towards that sort of December period Um, and this season obviously it looks like it's more in Rangers hand than it ever has been so key question really I suppose between you and me is really what do Celtic need to do to kind of put themselves back on track because they've got a huge points tally to kind of bring back um will it require more personnel or is it quality personnel that they need um but you know a lot of the kind of critics have it around Lennon's style of play so is it potentially that they need someone else at the helm which we know it doesn't sound like they're going to actually remove right now so what do you think it is I think there's a disparity between what we should do uh what they will do uh what they should do is dispensive Lennon take away the sentimental side of things. I know he's got the involvement with that club going 20 years as a player and as a manager, and he's done great, and he's given, delivered them some really great moments. But ultimately, you look at the difference in their football since Brendan Rodgers left and what's happened since Neil Lennon 
is taking charge. It's such a difference. Like that is a difference between a good coach and a top class coach. Um, but I think uh, they're not going to get rid of Lennon, maybe because they can't, they won't spend their money on getting somebody better. Uh, but they, if they're not going to get rid of Lennon, then they have to spend some. They have to do something in the transfer window. Like they can't just do nothing because that clearly isn't going to work, and he's not going to um, ease the, their fans' concerns either. Um, they, I think they've been linked with a few loan moves. I think one rumor that's mm. cropped up a couple of times is Jesse Lingard over yeah. to on loan from United to Celtic, which might appear a bit far-fetched, but you know, if they could get a couple of Premier League players on loan and they start doing a job for them, they could at least start closing the gap by virtue of just having really good players in the team. Um, and I think also, you know, I've seen a few viewpoints of Celtic fans is that Scott Brown, again, he's another one who's given so many years of service to Celtic, but he is a declining force. Um, and we do seem to play better when he's not in the starting lineup or not on the pitch. So, yeah, I think we we could all say what changes they need to make, but whether they actually do it or not is a different matter. And personally, I think they're going to end up just trying to stick with what they've got and try and ride it through, which probably isn't the wisest decision. Don't know about you also, Andy. If you're an opposing kind of scout, potentially like looking at this Celtic squad, is there a play that you would bring to the Premier League? Because in previous years, you always had that one or two potential gems coming out of that Celtic squad. This season, I'm unsure whether you've got that kind of player that could you know, do a job for a Premier League side, even let's say a West Bromwich Albion who probably could do with one or two additions right now. So um, I, I believe, you know, they need to make a sale before they can kind of make that splunge in terms of getting some players in. So is there any particular players that stand out to you? I think for me, um, their, their striker, Edward, um, mm. he's a good, he's a really good player, actually. Good dribbler, good finisher. I think he would be an upgrade to a couple of Premier League strike forces for sure. Um, especially if you look at the likes of, say, West Brom or Fulham. Um, I think you'll slot in there quite easily. Um, another one is uh, Christoph Ayer. Uh, part of another, almost like a golden generation of Norwegian footballers coming through. Um, absolute tank of a lad. Uh, would fit the Premier, Premier League in terms of physicality really well. Could play centre-back, could play defensive mid, could play centre-mid. Really versatile. I think he would do quite well south of the border. And uh, midfielder Olivia Nishan. Um, I could probably see doing going back to France or something, but they've got a couple of good players. Um, but yeah, I think they've got far too many expensive flops that which aren't really performing uh, that out that outweigh the amount of good players that they've got. Amazing, right, Craig? I know you're itching to talk about Rangers, so let's bring you in at this point. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Obviously, Rangers looks like on the outside as having a potential wobble against Motherwell. But when I was looking into it a bit more detail, it was absolutely, as you called it, a very hard game for Rangers. 
After six minutes, obviously Motherwell took the lead through Callum Lang. But interestingly, I don't know, but for the benefit of our listeners, they went for formation of five at the back and five in midfield, just basically packing in yep. that kind of counter-attacking style from Rangers. And Rangers struggled in that first half. Um, I think it was something I read, 23 crosses, but just nothing to it because Motherwell were just resolute and defending with their lives. But in the second half, obviously, goals from Kimar Roof and Cedric Hitan obviously helped them to secure a 3-1 win. So um, did you have a bit of nerves when you saw it still at 1-0 after? I think it was about 56, 60th minute before Kimar Roof turned up and uh, scored a goal. Yes, I'm not afraid to admit I was quite worried. So we, we as we said last week, we were beaten off of St Murren 3-2 in the, the League Cup quarterfinal, uh, which is an unacceptable result. And the narrative around Rangers was we have to beat Motherwell at home on Saturday. We have to get back in the saddle. We have to put them to the sword, send a message to Celtic that we're still in control of this title race. Six minutes in, Motherwell get a goal, poorly defended by Rangers, just a cross ball, really, really basic, in all honesty. Very unlike us. They go 1-0 up. And you look at it now, and they, they, they then go... And you're right, it's a 5-5-0. Five, five, and no matter how you dress it up, it's two banks of five in their own half. And they've got a line of five men on the 18-yard the, the box and 15 yards in front of them, they've got another five. And they were like that up, up until the 65th minute. We huffed and puffed and we we couldn't get through. Steven Gerrard, who does get a little bit of stick sometimes about not making subs quick enough, not making the right subs, um, brought on Cedric Eaton, brought on Yanis Hadji. Um, and young Yanis Hadji really changed the game. Started running in behind, stretching play, pulling these two banks of five out of possession. That really, really opened it up. Um, and then Kimar Roof got the goal. Um, Cedric Hitton scored the second. And then just for good measure at the end, uh, Kimar Roof got a second and, and it's still the 3-1 win. So, you know, not a vintage performance by any stretch of the imagination, but what we needed to do, and listen, Rangers will drop points this year. It's going to happen. We will get beat at some stage in the league. It's going to happen, but it, just, it could not have happened on Saturday. That just could not have happened. We had to win that game and, and send that message out, and we did. Celtic, um, as you two have mentioned, and I was biting my tongue there um, all the way through that because I was like, <laughs> I jumped in with some fucking bigotry, but I didn't. Um, they, won, they won the, I'll just say this, they won last season's Scottish Cup that was played in December, but the SPFL called the league early because they couldn't finish the league due to COVID. I don't yeah. know how you were out. And by the way, if Celtic were not in the semi-finals of that Scottish Cup, the SPFL would have cancelled it. It was engineered to allow Celtic to win the quote-unquote treble. Anyway, I'll listen with them, so yeah, that's my piece. What's your, so thoughts, what's your thoughts on the players? Like, Cel- Celtic players. Objectively. Yeah, because obviously I mentioned, obviously me and, um, me and Adam obviously mentioned like what players could be sellable and would be an asset to other teams. Like, if you look at it from that point of view. Yeah, totally objectively. I, I don't watch Celtic very often. I watch them four times a year, and that's because I, I fucking have to, because they play Rangers, <laughs> really. Um, you're right to point out Awesome and Edward, who's probably, I think between himself and Kimar Roof, are probably the two best strikers in Scotland. You know, you know, he, he, is a, he is a fantastic player. He has gone off the boil slightly this year. He wants to move out. Um, I don't think he's enjoying life at Celtic particularly well. And Cham... Blows hot and cold from what I hear. 
I think he's probably, I think he was being scouted by West Ham last season. I don't think he'll get that move this year. He's, he's gone off the boil as well. Ryan Christie is an attacking midfielder who, you know, despite my range of allegiance, I quite like him as a player. Actually, he's got a fantastic left foot and a, mm. a player of real attacking quality when he plays for Scotland. He's probably one of our only players who can really pick that pass up front. So that, that that's for me the two, Ryan Christie and Edward. Um Ayer at the back is hit or miss. They held him as God's gift, but he's he's not. He does have a few a few errors in him. But other than that, you're you're right. Callum McGregor in central midfield was two years ago one of the best players in Scotland. I think he's still a good player. Brendan Rodgers was linked to taking him down to Leicester with him when he moved. That seems to have gone off the boil. And Scott Brown's Know, Scotland's biggest fake hard man is, is on the way out. He's just not got legs anymore. <laughs> well, one thing about Scott Brown, see every time you see a clip of Scott Brown, has it ever been a good pass or a piece of skill or an assist or a long one shot? It's just him being a dick all the time. There's nothing actually <laughs> good right. about it. He doesn't actually, yeah. he doesn't actually do anything. He's just a shithouse. That's all he does. Um, yeah. But no, but, you know, jokes aside, Edward is, and I can I can say this even with my Rangers tinted specs on, Edward is a quality striker and could easily do a job for a mid to lower mid table uh, Premier League side I'm thinking uh, he could easily do a job I think at a West Ham a Palace uh, a definitely a Newcastle any of these sort of sides I think he could fit in and, and do a job quite quite easily uh, but back at Rangers so we just before we come on this pod I watched them beat St Johnston 3-0 away in the league pretty comfortable pretty routine came out for another goal and that's as we maintain 16 points clear at the top of the league, we play Hibs at Ibrox on our Boxing Day game, lunchtime, which is an important game. Hibs and Rangers have got a bit of niggle um, historically, and they'll bring they'll bring their game. So they are they're a decent side. The, the aim for us is to go into the game on the second of January, the old firm game at Ibrox, maintain our sixteen point advantage. If we then beat them at Ibrox, we obviously go nineteen points clear. Now they will have three games in hand. Now they have had a little bit of I don't want to call it form because it's not. They've won a few games. Now, there's nothing to suggest they win the three games in hand. So, at worst case, we'll still be 10 points clear. And that's got to be our next objective, is to come out of that 2nd of January, 19 points clear. Um, and then whatever Celtic do with their games in hand, they do. But I think, in worst case, 10 points after the New Year game, would have bit your hand off for that. But all, all positive sides, bounce back well after the, in the end, after the defeat against St Martin. Um, and we just need to march on. But no counting chicken jet, guys, but we're, we're playing well. We've played... 19 games this season now in the league. Um, 53 mm-hmm. points, zero defeats. We only conceded five goals. So, you know, it's about as good as you could possibly have hoped for uh, when we started the league. So, a question for myself is, is Kemar Roof probably the, becoming the main striker now? He seems to be coming up big in the big games, like especially in the Europa League and in the league. Like, he seems to always sort of come up with a performance when they absolutely need it. Yeah, he has. He's, he was brought in in the summer and... Scottish fans who are listening to this will know what I mean. Um, when a player comes to Scotland and you just you see them and you go, you're a class above this league. You shouldn't really be playing here. And if Kemar Roof hadn't had his injury history, if we're honest, he probably wouldn't be playing in Scotland. Um, Edward is the same, I would thought. Um, Celtic got him very, very young and we'll sell him on for good money. But Kemar Roof is just a class above. And if we can get a full season out of him, you're right, Andy. I think he will be the difference. Last year, we were very, very reliant on Morelos, who... Consequently, this year is is really going out of form. He's not scored the well. Missed a sitter tonight. Um, so what happened last year was Rangers were on fire up until New Year. 
you know, absolutely phenomenal. We beat Celtic in the New Year game last year, um, and then we went a bit ahead of them on points, so Destin's in our hands. After the, that, we fell away, Morelos stopped scoring, and there was no one else to really score goals from that team. Um, this year's completely different. We've got, you know, came out of Cedric and Ryan Kent's chipping in, Aribo's chipping in, Hadji, etc., etc. It just feels like we've got a much, much more balanced forward line. And came out of is absolutely key to that. If he finishes well this season, um, I think he could probably move on either this year or next. I don't think if he stays fit, he'll be at Rangers for much longer. Key question I had for you, Craig, was um, being that you're doing so well in Europe as well right now. Do you feel you've got the numbers to kind of still maintain that high performance that you're doing right now to the end of the season? Or do you feel you still need a few more additions or just basically backups, really, to challenge that first team as well? Um, I'm thinking, obviously, with Liverpool and his links there with Gerrard, potentially likes of maybe Harvey Elliott that's currently on loan at Blackburn might be a good addition to that midfield because um, he is that kind of skillful player. Reminds me a lot of maybe like a... Gascoigne that could maybe just come up with something different um, in those maybe tight games that you might need, like a player to just break that deadlock. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious from your point of view where you feel you need to add maybe additional numbers. I think I think we're quite happy with our squad at the moment. Now we spoke on the very very first pod about Rangers needed to add um, a midfielder. I mean, we've got Bogani Zungu and he's on loan from Omeon in France with an option to buy into the season. And Gerard has been rotating. He's, you know, it's not uncommon for between Thursday and Sunday to change five or six players. And the difference again yeah. from last season is when he had to do that, or he was reluctant to do that because he didn't trust the backups. This year we've seen, with the exception of the Sitman game I've mentioned, we've been able to swap five or six players and, and not have a change of outcome. And the, the guys who are on the bench, ready to come in, have performed really, really well. So I think we're quite happy. Um, Ryan Kent and Borna Barisic are both highly being tipped for moves away in the summer. Uh, Borna Barisic, right. I don't know how much you've watched of him, but he's currently the Croatian first-choice left-back. Uh, he's got he's a cracking head on him, hasn't he? He's a fucking player, he really is. And um, he, he, if he has a good Euros, which I think he will, I cannot see him being here next year. Um, I think West Ham um, are looking for him, and I think they quoted in the London Press 3.6 million. Is that fucking triple that, and you might be closer to the mark, guys. You're having a laugh. He'll be definitely going. Ryan Kent was um, massively linked to Leeds in the summer. If he has another good second half of the season, I can't imagine he'll be here. And then, of course, Glenn Kamara, who we got from Dundee for £50,000. He's currently a starter for the Finnish national team, who are, of course, qualified for the Euros as well. Had a good performance against France in a friendly. Uh, and I think he's another player that, if he has a good Euros, could probably end up playing in the Premier League. So, at the moment, Adam, I think we're quite comfortable with our squad. The board came out and said that categorically no one will be leaving in January, unless, of course, it's silly money, in which case, you know, let's not be about it. We're a club that mm. we bring in young players and we sell them on. So, if a silly money comes in, of course, people will go. But I think up until the end of the year, we're quite happy, barring any major injuries, touch wood, with our squad. But there will be a rebuilding job in certain parts of the team in the summer when... You know, mm. undoubtedly, some of our bigger players will go on to to better things, I would imagine. So you've got a quite a tasty match back at Rangers uh, on Boxing Day against Hibs. Um, before we go into that part where you kind of highlight these games that we've got to look out for, 
And um, what's your thoughts on this Hibs team in particular? They seem to be doing relatively well given the circumstances. But yeah, do you feel that's going to be another three points guaranteed, or is it going to be another hard game like the Motherwell game? In no, that'll be a hard game. So Hibs are currently sat um, at third, one point behind Celtic. Granted, they do have their games in hand, of course. But Hibs are a decent side. They've mm. got Jack Ross, you remember from the Sunderland documentary. Um, he's at Hibs yeah. at the moment, and he's quite a decent manager. And he's got them playing reasonably well. Yeah, um, yeah Hibs are, are a decent side. They're organised. They're almost a sort of the Catholic side of Edinburgh, really, um, Hibs. <laughs> yeah. So when we play Hibs or when Celtic play Hearts, it's always a little bit tasty because of you know nothing in Scotland and football goes with the religious ties. So <laughs> it's always a really tasty game. They don't like us, we don't like them. So it'll be a good game. We drew with them 2-all at Easter Road um, in their first game of the season against Hibs. So they're not they're not a bad side by any stretch, so it won't, it won't be a walkover. I think it'll be quite a tight cagey game, but I think over the 90 minutes, we should have enough quality to see that one out. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, um, it was interesting. I did see or manage to catch a Hibs game by chance uh, a few months ago, and they actually played much more better football with like Jack Ross at the helm compared to Jack Ross at Sunderland, so that says a lot about Sunderland's yeah. team, to be fair. <laughs> um, but let's move on to a part two. So, Craig... Just highlight the Boxing Day games as well as those that are going to take place on the 27th and 28th that we've got to look out for. Yeah, well, do, mate. So, as you'd imagine, this time of year, quite a busy schedule for British teams. So, a lot of Scottish and English teams in action. The, the continent have, albeit a shorter winter break, they do have a slight winter break. So, France, Germany, um, after tonight, will not be back until the new year. But Saturday, Boxing Day, first game up. Um, Rangers versus Hibs at Ibrox, half past 12. A really, really good game. Andy, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts. Leicester host Man United at half past 12. Uh, you've got Villa versus Palace at three o'clock. Fulham versus Southampton at three o'clock. Arsenal versus Chelsea, half past five at the Emirates now. We've spoken before, if they get a drum in there, then I wonder how long Arteta can, can last out there. Man City host Newcastle at eight o'clock and Sheffield United versus Everton also at 8 o'clock. That rounds up the Boxing Day games. On Sunday, you've got Leeds versus Burnley, 12 o'clock. West Ham versus Brighton at quarter past two. Liverpool versus West Brom, fuck me. That's going to be a bloodbath. That's at half past four on Sunday afternoon. And then an interesting game, you've got Wills versus Spurs at quarter past seven on Sunday night. Now, Spurs, they need a win here, really. I mean, they've had two, as you said, defeats mm. on the bounce. One unlucky against Liverpool, one against Leicester, not so much. And if they don't win against Wolves, then I think questions will be asking about their bottle crash and it'll be, as you've described, it'll be definitely spursy. So they need to go there and, and beat a Wolves side who are not the easiest away game you could have got. Uh, and then on Monday night, wrapped up, we've got Palace host Leicester at three o'clock, Chelsea host Villa at half past five, and then Everton versus Man City at eight. So yeah, over the, the festive weekend, mate, lots of good games. Um, Andy, what's your thoughts then on Leicester versus Man United? That should be one of the most open games this season, I would have thought. Yeah, well, the next three games United have got will probably, I think it'll, that'll be the difference between, you know, whether United have just had a couple of good performances or whether they've actually started to get together. So the next three games, you've got Leicester, uh, you've got Wolves, and then you've got Aston Villa. You know, all three teams have got a lot of really good attacking players yeah. that can hurt us defensively. And I think it's if we come out of those games with, say, seven out of nine points, 
Um, I think that will maybe convince people that we've turned a corner and we are sort of, you know, possibly in a title race, but most certainly a top four contender, like really serious one. But yeah, I think, uh, but United have done all right against Leicester in recent years. Even under Mourinho or Solskjaer last year, like we do seem to get results against them when we need them. Um, like especially going back to the last day of last season, we needed to win against Leicester. We did. Um, I think United are in better form than they were when we played them. Because uh, ultimately, like you know, as much as like the Champions League campaign was a disappointment, uh, we're up to third in the league. We've got a game in hand. Uh, they seem to have, um, we seem to be starting to score goals and start to take control a bit earlier in games. So yeah, I think uh, United will need to be a hundred percent on it in the next three games. But I don't see why we can't get nine points out of them. But at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me if we don't. It's it honestly depends on what Manchester United turn up, and that's the. Uh, that's a frustration me and every other Manchester United fan goes through because you're not 100% certain of what you're going to get on match day. Like, will it be the team that uh, played against Leeds or will it be the team that lost against Crystal Palace, Istanbul, etc.? We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, that sounds like a good set of games to really get our teeths into. So thank you for that, Craig. Before we end the show, um, I did give both Craig and Andy a sign of my appreciation for being part of the show. Uh, Gave them a Christmas present, so no pressure, lads, but feel free to open them now. Otherwise, um, I'm sure you'll share with the listener what you actually received. Mine is... um, (laughs) Me and and my present are somewhat distant from each other at the second. (laughs) That's that's fine. That's that's not a problem whatsoever. Because I um, yeah, that's... I will I will I will absolutely <laughs> open it. And I have absolutely got the present, but <laughs> I'm at my girlfriend's and I forgot to I forgot to pack the present. <laughs> it's the honest answer to that one. No, that is fine. That is not a problem. It sounds like Craig may have been a- opening his. Uh... Oh, very nice. It's a and it's a hopeless wanderers podcast extra um, t-shirt. With my name and number Ooh. nine on the back of it, I mean that's uh, some free advertising. I can wear that when I'm out and about or in the gym. Yeah, there's, there's that's a bit of tactics to me. Yeah, but, um, I walk. Ho- hopefully, uh, mate, you'll also understand the number as well because um, number nine, I kind of understood, is Ali McCoy's number, <laughs> your favourite player. Yeah, um, right, yeah, a bit of a thinking. And uh, Andy, uh, just to spoil it for you, but you got number 11 because I assumed Giggsy was your favourite player. So uh, I went with Giggs for you. So um, hopefully you appreciate that one. So uh, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Oh, boy, yeah. Thank you. No, that's fine. Now, you um, will have to give those T-shirts a bit of a wash before you start wearing them because when I opened mine, it absolutely stank. So, does it come, um, where does it yeah, come from? Is it, from the does it come from a COVID country? No, no, no. Hopefully, <laughs> all COVID free. So, uh, I mean, we are the COVID country. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, yeah, yeah, fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. yeah just different strains of it and different tiers. Yeah. Um, but you've nicely um, brought me on to a point that I wanted to share with the listener, which is how we ended it, this, this episode in particular. So, we know how shit this year has been. And if you are struggling with your mental health, please make sure you reach out to your loved ones. And if you feel like it's an idea, 
just feel free to approach the show as well and i'm sure we'll be happy to take any thoughts from you but otherwise please visit mine.org.uk or please call the samaritans on 116 123 and i'm sure they'll be able to help you but please do not struggle by yourself at this time as we know how shit this year has been so this is the first part of this particular christmas special um but for now Thank you. Thank you to Craig. Thank you to Andy. And for now, hope you have a great Christmas. And please listen to our second part, which will be live on the 25th of December. But for now, goodbye. Bye. Bye.